Father God, we thank you for, for the blessings that we have for the Sabbath day, for the opportunity to, to congregate together and to commune with you. We thank you for the children, for the music that they praise you with this morning. And as we just spend a moment opening the word today, we just ask that your, your blessing is here. Be with each one here. In your holy and your precious name, amen. I, uh, I mentioned at first service, you're, you're, getting, you're getting step number two. Most of my sermons I've, I've written 10, 12 years ago, and as a superintendent, uh, I was able to travel the conference and never had to rewrite another sermon because I'd go to the same place. And my, my wife started saying a few years ago, please write another sermon. Let me, you know, when I can quote yours, it just, please write another sermon. So I, I, I worked on one when I was asked to be here this day, and I, I happened to bump into someone in the... In the breezeway here said so it's it's a sermon but it's not a lot of notes so it's a little I'm an English teacher it's a little stream of consciousness so we'll try to make sure we meander down the stream and and get to the end properly um, but the the Bible verse that uh, that I had started with comes from Hebrews 13 12 and everything I'll be referencing comes from the New King James Version it says do not forget to entertain strangers for by doing so some have unwittingly entertained angels and one of the things that came to mind was an old tv show in the 1980s with uh michael landa one of my favorite favorite actors uh you know little joe cartwright on bonanza then he went right into pa ingles on little house the prairie then he moved to to highway to heaven but I, i never watched highway to heaven it came on during my college years and just watching tv at night wasn't my thing to do in college so um, I, I didn't have the opportunity really to watch that. I, I didn't know a lot about that show. But there was a show that followed it that, that really was intriguing to me. I'm not a big sci-fi fan, but this had an element, uh, a morality element, and a concept that really just stuck to me. It was a show, you may remember, it from 19, late 80s, early 90s, called Quantum Leap. It was a story uh, with, with uh, Scott Bakula played uh, Dr. Sam Beckett, who would leap in time and, and make right or wrong. So if someone had gotten in with a bad crowd, he would leap into their, their body, if you will, and help, help make them make a good decision. And it, it, it just followed his adventures for a number of years. And, and it got me thinking about the opportunities that we have to leap into certain situations. Have you ever met someone and you only meet them for a brief period of time, but they were very impactful in your life? Just something that happened, maybe in passing, maybe, maybe just for a week or so, maybe you worked with them, maybe they were visiting, whatever it was, they, they impacted your life. And I've always sort of taken that, that quantum leap approach to that, that there's opportunities that God places where, where just that brief instant you see something. There, there's examples, of course, of angels actually visiting. Uh, in Genesis 18, there are the three angels who come to Abraham's tent to tell, tell him that Sarah's going to have a baby in her old age. Uh, that's followed up in Genesis 19 with the two, the two angels who come to Sodom to warn Lot and his family to leave. And there's a difference, of, albeit it may be a small one, between angels and individuals who do angelic-like events, if you will. And, and I, I looked at the Bible for a couple of other instances where you don't see someone for a long period of time, but they seem just to leap onto the pages of the Bible to do something impactful. One of those comes from Mark 15, 21. And this is the story of uh, Simon of Cyrene. 
It says, and they compelled, this is Jesus carrying his cross up to Golgotha. And they, it says, they, the Roman soldiers, then they compelled a certain man, Simon a Syrian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross, Jesus' cross. We don't know much about Simon beyond this. There's a Rufus mentioned later in the Bible that some people sort of connect together and they think, but obviously he was probably in Jerusalem for the Passover. But can you imagine that your one noted thing in history is that as Jesus is, is carrying this cross, you're asked, I love this picture, this is Sidney Portier playing Simon Serene, but you are asked to, to bear the cross of the Son of God. We talk about it metaphorically, you know, lift up my cross, lift up your cross and follow me. But Simon actually carried the cross of Jesus. I have to believe that this is not coincidental. I have to believe that Simon was an upright man, that, that, that our Heavenly Father, the angels, did not compel the Roman soldiers to grab someone who wasn't worthy of carrying Jesus' cross. I don't know. But, but there's a sense that says that Simon was placed there at that day for that time to do this task. And then he's gone. But he's there for that moment for Jesus to lean on. There's another one in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 38, beginning with verse 4. This is where Jeremiah said a few things, as Jeremiah was ought to do, that really irritated people. I don't know if there's a prophet. I may be wrong, but I don't know if there's a prophet that irritated more people than Jeremiah. Jeremiah would like to stir up the pot. And I like those kind of people for some reason. But reading from um, the New King James, Jeremiah 38, Therefore the princes said to the king, Please let this man, Jeremiah, be put to death. For thus he weakens the hands of the man of war who remain in the city and the hands of all the people by speaking such words to them. For this man does not seek the welfare of the people, but their harm. <clears throat> then Zedekiah the king said, look, he is in your hand, for the king can do nothing against you. So they took Jeremiah and cast him in the dungeon of Malchiah, the king's son, which was in the court of the prison. And they let Jeremiah down with ropes. And in the dungeon, there was no water but mire. So Jeremiah sank in the mire. Just mud and if you've ever been in a rotten muddy place just sunk down in that but now Ebed Malik the Ethiopian one of the eunuchs who was in the king's house heard that they had put Jeremiah in the dungeon when the king was sitting at the gate of Benjamin Ebed Malik went out of the king's house and spoke to the king saying my lord the king these men have done evil and all they have done to Jeremiah the prophet whom they have cast into the dungeon and he is likely to die from hunger in this place where he is, for there is no bread in the city. Then the king commanded Ibn Malik, the Ethiopian, saying, Take from here 30 men with you and lift Jeremiah the prophet out of the dungeon before he dies. So Ibn Malik took the men with him and went into the house of the king under the treasury and took from there old cloths and old rags and let them down by ropes into the dungeon of Jeremiah. Then Ibn Malik, the Ethiopian, said to Jeremiah, Please put these old rags, cloths and rags under your armpits, under the ropes. And Jeremiah did so. What a man. I mean, he's going against men of war and he comes into the king. He had to have been brought into favor of the king. The king had to trust this man. He lived a life that the king was willing to go against his advisors to throw Jeremiah into the well, into the cistern, into this mire, into this muck, into this nasty place to die. Ibn Malik had to have influence over the king to be able to come in and say, we can't let him die there. I'm going to go get him out. 
and then so thoughtful to bring these rags and these clothes to put under Jeremiah's arms to lift him out. Took a chance. Could have been his death. Could have been, he could have been whatever by the king who had this power. But we see him placed on the pages of the Bible for a certain time period to do an act. I almost, I almost see the, the, the quantum leap thing of just them leaping into these bodies to be at that place and that time to do something powerful for God. You know, in, in 2002, I'd been teaching community college for four years, uh, had just gone through a divorce, was teaching community college up in, up in southern Indiana, uh, but I really wanted to get back into the, into the classroom to teach my own son and moved to Jacksonville, Florida. At the time, the school was about 125, 130 students. Um, really a nice school, a nice community, nice church. Enjoyed being there. And partway through the year, January, February, my ex-wife, mother of my children, said, I really want you to move back up here. I want the kids back up here with me. And I said, well, the principal is an interim principal, so they want to interview me to be the principal. And... We made an agreement. She said, me and my new husband will move down there. I'll get, we'll get jobs down there if you become the principal for the sake of our children and, and to help you out. And I'm very kind. That was a lot of prayer. Lord, please, please let this work. And then all for that. So I met with the, met with the teachers, met with school board members. Chris, we'd like for you to be the principal. Fantastic. Come and interview the night. And I, I'm not going to say a name of a, of a Florida superintendent because they're no longer here. And I don't honestly remember who it was. It was 20 years ago. It's none of the individuals who are in, this, in the conference office now. But this individual came in. We did the interview. And I drove up. It was the beginning of our spring break. I drove up to southern Indiana, take my kids back up there to spend time with their mom. And I remember being in the hotel room there when I got a phone call from one of the superintendents here in Florida to say they've offered the job to someone else. And just my heart, like, but, but I, no, I mean, no, God, this. And, and it just was deflating. And there was anger and there was frustration. There was confusion. And um, I immediately sent my resume up towards Southern Indiana and, and the Kentucky Tennessee Conference. And I got a phone call to interview at Pee Wee Valley, Kentucky, real place, just a mile outside of Louisville. Big day in Louisville today, the Kentucky Derby's back in case any of you keep, we keep track of it always in Louisville. But um, I, I interviewed there and was offered the job and moved up and the whole time I'm going, I have, what are you doing? We had an agreement. I got her to agree to bring her new husband and move to Jacksonville so that I could be there with the kids. This doesn't make sense to me, God. It doesn't make sense. But you know, God doesn't have a rear view mirror. He only looks forward, right? Doesn't even have that backup camera. I don't have that on my, I, I, I was rent, when I rent cars, I love that. I was like, I don't run over things anymore, good deal. Um, but I got there to Pee Wee Valley and, and I'm, I'm not gonna tell the whole story because we disagree on how it actually happened. But before school even started, I met a, a, just a beautiful young woman by the name of Regan Murphy. By the way, her name's Regan Jewell now. So 
And I, I honestly will tell you, the very first time I met her, I was like, so maybe this is why I'm, why I'm not in Jacksonville anymore. And, and it took a year. And I don't tell the story because we have a different opinion. She's watching online. They have different opinions of how we actually met. She has one story and I have the right story. And, and so, but I don't, I, I don't bring that up. I don't get in that argument, you know, but I, there's one story and there's another. So, but we met, we, we can verify that we actually met and, and got married and had the opportunity to go from Pee Wee Valley to Louisville Junior Academy that eventually became Louisville Adventist Academy. The opportunities God opened for me there to prepare the path for where I was going in life, I can look at now and say, you had it all the time. He, he did not offer me the job in Jacksonville. He made sure he impressed upon those people to not give me the job in Jacksonville because he had another role for me. And I just didn't see it at the time. In the moment, we don't always see it, but it's almost like that quantum leap. God put you at that place at that time. The most powerful story of this, of course, comes in the book of Esther. In the book of Esther, you see, of course, uh, Hadassah, young orphan child, picked up by her uncle Mordecai and given the name Esther, what bright and shining star, I think Esther means, gives her the name of Esther. And she's obviously a beautiful young lady who co who's connected to um, her uncle Mordecai. And at some point in time there, remember the story, the king Xerxes gets rid of his other wife and looks for a new wife. And Esther shines above all the rest and becomes the new queen. But there's some evil man in that, in that area, as often happens with God people, they wanna put the Israelites to death. And there's a decree that goes out. And we pick up the story in, in Esther 4, verse 10. Mordecai has asked Esther to go before the king. And Esther sends a response back. It says, Then Esther spoke to Hadach and gave him a command for Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's province know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court of the king who has not been called, he has but one law, put all to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter, that he may live. Yet I myself have not been called to go into the king these 30 days. So they told Mordecai Esther's words. So understand where she's coming from. Yeah, I can go before the king and, and beg for the Israelites' life. However, if I go before him and he doesn't stick out his scepter, he's going he's gonna to kill me. He's going to kill me. And I haven't seen him. He hasn't called for me for 30 days. So this is a, I'm not sure about this, Mordecai. I'm not sure about this, uncle. Mordecai's response is powerful. It's that quantum leap kind of moment for me. It says, and, and Mordecai, the first 13, and Mordecai, I told them to answer Esther. Do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. If you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise from the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. I want to break those down. What powerful words. What Mordecai tells her is that quantum leap concept. Maybe God puts you here right now for this time for this place for this purpose this is why you're here you are the rescue however we serve a powerful god if you don't want to he's going to find another way but you're not letting yourself be used by god then he put you here for this time for this place for this purpose i often think 
when we make complicated decisions, whether it, it be at, at whatever level, at, for me, the school level, the head of school level, when I make those complicated decisions at the board level, the finance level, has God put me here? Is this the time that I'm here for? You know, I, I was counting up the other day. My dad worked for the church, and this sounds awful at first when you say it. So I'm, I'm 57. Yes, thank you. I don't look at it. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Um, I'm 57. I have moved 35 times. In my adult lifehood, I have moved 19 times. And you think it's because people just don't like me, and that could be part of it, but a lot of it is just simply God moving me. It's sort of that quantum leap feeling, like I'm here, and then, okay, you don't need me here anymore. Where do I go now, God? And go there. Sometimes it was simply I moved to bigger places or nicer places or places that didn't flood in the middle of the night, those kind of things. But it's sort of that quantum leap feel that I'm here as long as you need me here. And when you no longer need me here, I'm ready to go there. Mordecai tells Esther, maybe God put you here for this time, this place, this purpose. But if not you, he will find someone else for this deliverance. Esther gets that message and says, then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me, neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. God's time, place, and purpose. I want to go back to Louisville Adventist Academy for a second. When I landed there after coming from Pee Wee Valley, they had 27 kids enrolled. Um, we did some recruiting over the summertime, got it to about 35. Started doing some, some good things, bringing some new programs in. The enrollment went from 35 to about 43 the second year. Same staff. I had three full-time teachers, one part-time chaplain teacher. We went from 35 to 43. I think we added a teacher's aide. The next year, we went from 43 to 72 with the same teaching staff. I was teaching fifth through eighth grade, reading and writing, math, social studies, and I was teaching ninth and 10th grade English. I was the athletic director coaching all the basketball teams, and I had 26 kids in my homeroom. I don't tell you that. To, I mean, they gave me a cookie, so I'm good now. Um, I don't tell you that, but, but it, was, it was overwhelming because we didn't add staff because we got this enrollment so late in the year, we weren't able to go out and get quality teachers that we knew we could get. So we were just, it was, it was overwhelming. I was exhausted. I was exhausted every night. You can imagine three and a half teachers overseeing 72 students. It was exhausting. And I remember coming home in, in October. I just got down on my knees and I was like, God, I'm tired. I'm just tired. I'm going, I'm teaching five classes. I'm coaching. I didn't have a school board chair at the time. Small schools don't have business manager. We had a person who wrote checks. That was pretty much it. I did all the bookkeeping, all of that. Um, I was like, I need something. The, the influx of all these students had brought on a lot of what we call RTI, response to intervention students, students who needed interventions. They needed special learning skills that we weren't, we were classroom teachers. We weren't able to do pullouts and sit and help students and do this extra work. And, and sometimes, Having a lot of those students can be overwhelming if you don't have the resources to be able to help them. And I was like, I, I just, I need, I need some kind of direction. I need to, I need to do something so that I can help these kids because I, I don't want to lose them, but I can't give them the help they need. 
Next morning, about nine o'clock, I'm told there's a visitor. I come out, and I'm, I'm going to hold a Bible up because you're going to look at me like I'm lying to you, and I'm going to put my hand in the Bible to swear to this. I come out, and I meet, and I didn't say her name first service, but I don't think she'll be offended. I met uh, Dolores Carrington. Dolores Carrington stood there, very friendly. She said who she was. She goes, I'm a, I'm a seasoned teacher from Barbados. And um, she goes, I'm here at the University of Louisville working on my doctorate. And I was asked to do some work at a private or at a public school. And I said, can, can I work at a private Adventist school? She goes, because I've been teaching Adventist school for 25 some odd years. She goes, can I do that? And her advisors, her teachers said, sure, you can work there. You can do that instead. You can work at an Adventist school. She goes, so I just thought I'd come in to see if you need any help. The next morning, and I looked at her and I was like, well, sure, of course. What do you teach? She was like, actually, I'm getting my, my doctorate in intervention for special needs students. From Barbados and Louisville, Kentucky. Louisville, Kentucky doesn't have a lot of individuals who transplant from Barbados, just in case you were wondering. Um, and I, I just looked at her and of course I'm going through my mind we didn't budget for this I know we have a lot of extra kids but we didn't budget for this and I was like I would love it uh, when can we sit and talk she was like well I need to share one more thing for you I'm not a naturalized citizen I don't have the paperwork to, to work here so I have to volunteer my time three years six hours a day Dolores Carrington came in and, and, and to boot that, her son was about six foot four and started as the center on our, uh, our church basketball team. You know, and I was like, hey, two for one, right? And a great football player. He was just a good kid. Um, six hours a day for three years, she came in and volunteered, taught our students. I'm getting a little arrogant here. December comes around, I'm still tired because most of that help is for lower grade students. I'm still doing the 26 math. And I came home again and just was like, God, I'm, I'm still, thank you, thank you, thank you. But I'm still just tired. I, I, I'm an English teacher. I can teach math, but I'm an English teacher. I got a phone call the next morning from someone at the conference office. Hey, there's a new pastor who's coming up there. He's going to intern at three different churches, I think six months each one. He's going to intern for, for three different churches up there. And his wife happens to be a teacher. If you can use her at the school, have them come by. Well, they're actually on their way. They'll be there about four o'clock this afternoon. Like, great. So I stood around and waited. They get out. Karen Wigley hops out, comes up, young teacher, introduce ourselves, sit down for a second. I was like, so, yeah, you want to teach. What, what's your specialty? She goes like, well, she goes, actually, I have my graduate degree in math. I'm not, I, I hope, Karen and Dolores, I hope you're watching this. I'm going to text you to tell you to watch this. The, the truth, I can't, I mean, you can't make it up. What's amazing is that Dolores had applied to come to the University of Louisville nine months before. Karen Wigley and her husband had planned to come to Louisville months before. Before I even got down on my knees, there they were. It was that quantum leap type moment. They just sort of leaped into my life for that short period of time to help grow a school of God's children. My challenge 
for you this morning is a little different. Somewhere right now, someone's on their knees praying for something. They may not even know what. They may be sitting beside you. But somebody's praying for something. I beg of you, make yourself available to be the answer to someone else's prayer. Think about how powerful that prayer is. Not what others can do for me, not what God can do for me, but God, let me be the answer to someone else's prayer. Let me make myself available. Maybe they need this. Maybe they need that. Hey, look, I'll throw a pitch in here. Maybe they need money to go to Forest Lake Academy next year, and that's a resource that you have. I don't know. But what if we all prayed the prayer, God, make me the answer to someone else's prayer? I think a lot of our problems, a lot of our concerns would go away. That's my prayer for you this morning. That's my prayer for myself this morning, is that we make ourselves available to be the answer to our neighbor's prayer. Do that quantum leap, jump into their life for that time period to help them through whatever difficulties life has given them for his glory.